This podcast was recorded from our weekly live stream. To watch this video or see other episodes of The Spiritual Journalist, head to thespiritualjournalist.com or find me on YouTube. You can find a link in the show notes. Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Spiritual Journalist. I'm so grateful you found us here, and I am so excited for today's conversation. This is a topic I've wanted to explore for a long time. I've been drawn to for several years now, but it finally felt like the right time to dive into it. We're talking all about human design today, and we have an expert here with us, Cassandra Vogley, who has agreed to get us started on our human design journey and maybe demystify some of the confusion around it. It can be a bit overwhelming when you first look at your human design map. So let's dive right into our conversation. I've always been a deeply curious person, talking with anyone who would listen and soaking in as much information as possible. So it's no surprise my love for storytelling led me to a career in journalism. But after nearly a decade working in newsrooms across the West Coast, I realized I wanted to start asking questions you probably wouldn't see on your local news. So I left my job as a morning TV reporter and started The Spiritual Journalist. This isn't just a YouTube channel, podcast, website, or social media page. This is a live conversation where you get to ask questions too, because I'm not the expert. I'm not here to tell you what to believe. My goal is to connect you with people who have profound experiences and inspirational stories to share. And we'll definitely mix a little astrology in too. So if you're like me, you have this insatiable curiosity and you love deep conversations too, well, this is the place for you. Together each week, we'll explore everything from crystals and tarot to mental health and the environment. There are no wrong questions here. My ultimate goal is for you to come away from each episode with a new perspective and an expanded consciousness. This is a channel for the collective. This is a community for the curious. This is The Spiritual Journalist. Hello. Hi. <laughs> I am so excited to have you here. I feel like you are a guest that I've had on my list for several months now. But as I said a little bit ago, human design is something that I've wanted to learn about, but I just haven't quite been ready. And now it feels like, okay, now's the time. You had to wait for that response. You had to wait for something to respond to. <laughs> I, I know. I think that's part of my design too. So <laughs> we'll go into that. This is going to be really fun, especially because uh, we'll start our episode with a little mini astrology reading for you. But by the end, you'll be looking at my human design chart and giving me some insight about me too. So it's going to be a fun exchange of energy. I'm excited. All right, so let's pull up your chart. I like to start our episodes this way, introducing people to your energy, rather than talking about your resume or talking about, you know, your accomplishments. Like, let's just get a snapshot of the energy. Uh, and I know you've had astrology readings before, so if there's anything you want to point out, feel free to jump right in. All right, so we know that you're a Leo, Leo's son. Uh, and you have a Capricorn moon and a Libra rising. So I want to start with your rising because um, once I found out you had a Libra rising, I was like, okay, this makes perfect sense because like you are literally so gorgeous. Like Aww, I feel you. 
seriously so beautiful and having a libra rising is makes total sense for that but also your energy just kind of like your aura how you show up is very gentle and harmonious um but then having that leo sun it's like also like look at me there's like this magnetic attraction to you um so i just i have to say when i first met you in person i was like who is that you know <laughs> it, there was like this appeal this draw to you and because you are a Libra rising, that makes your ruling planet Venus because Venus rules Libra. So you have Venus in Virgo. You actually have a stellium in Virgo, Venus, Mercury, and Mars in Virgo. So I know you've said this, that you have a lot of Virgo energy, and that's because you have this stellium in Virgo. And the stellium is in your 11th house, which tells me community is very important to you. And also having a community, feminine energy is really strong with Virgo. So like having a community of women around you, but also, you know, Virgos, I'm a Virgo too. So we're like the analyst of the Zodiac. So you probably feel nurtured by a community of people or comfortable by a community of people who also is just like as analytical as you are, who kind of wants to see things like you do. Um, and also there's an element of purity with Virgo too. So surrounding yourself with people who feel like they have pure intentions is probably very important too. And then your moon being in Capricorn, this is where things get really interesting in your chart. So <laughs> all of that Virgo energy is harmonizing with your Capricorn moon and your Saturn in Capricorn, which is conjunct your moon. So you have Saturn and your moon within a degree of each other. And a Capricorn moon can make us a little bit like distant emotionally. But when I look at your chart, I see like very protective. Like when something is important to you um, and then you and you hold it dear, especially because this is happening in your third house. Um, I think that like, especially when it comes to information you're learning, like you're not ready to share it until you feel like super comfortable in it. You know, you're probably very protective when you're first learning something, you're not ready to share it. But then it's funny because your moon and Saturn are opposing your Jupiter in your ninth house. So there's like this push pull between you feeling really nurtured by bringing in new information and understanding things in a practical way. And once you feel like you're secure in that, your abundance and your healing power comes from sharing that information with other people. Because you also have Chiron in the ninth house in cancer which is a very healing nurturing energy and i'm sure we'll get into this when we talk about your journey because i know you've been a healer in a lot of different modalities in a lot of different ways but your ability to heal yourself is what is propelling you to this like sharing expansive abundant energy it's like your purpose your calling is healing but also like you had to do that work first. And it might've been challenging with Saturn conjunct your moon, like, whew, that brings some difficult emotions with it that you've had to work through. So I don't know your whole history, but I was surprised because uh, like I said, you have such like this beautiful, harmonious, natural energy about you, very magnetic with your sun in Leo, but that Capricorn moon is like, there it is. <laughs> some seriousness beneath it all, you know? And also I will say that your son in the 10th house in Leo 
how you show up in the world very much dictates your career. And once you decide like, this is what I'm doing and this is how I'm showing up, it's an extremely magnetic energy. Like I've seen this just watching you through social media. When you offer something, people are like, ooh, we want that, we need that. You have this like totally magnetic pull when it comes to your business, um, which is really cool to see play out in your chart. And then your North Node is in Aquarius in your fourth house. So your North Node is in your house of home and family. And your North Node in Aquarius wants you to do things differently. Your purpose, the lessons you're learning in this lifetime is probably around having a different family structure or having just like a different version of what your family or your foundation or your home looks like. So yeah, is there anything else that you want to point out or that you're curious about? Well, it's just funny to hear you saying these things because I can place where they're at in human design. Like, it's just cool to, yeah. I am really excited too because I, I don't know much about human design, but from what I understand, there's a lot of overlapping. Like, actually, one of your students in your mentorship told me or described it to me as human design is like taking astrology and overlaying it on the body. It's like bringing the body into astrology. So I'm super excited to hear how it all intertwines. All right. Well, that's a look at your energy. Thanks to Astro Charts, our sponsor. If you would like to get your own version of your birth chart, you can head to thespiritualjournalist.com slash birth chart. You can also check out astrocharts.com, astro-charts.com. Uh, and they have a free tool that you can save different birth charts with, which I really love because, you know, I've got my partner's chart, my mom's chart. Everybody's is right there whenever I want to go check it out. But now that we've seen a snapshot of your energy, I really am curious about your journey into human design. So because I know you outside of this platform, I know that you used to be a therapist. And I am very curious how we went from being a therapist in this <laughs> very structured role, Capricorn Moon, of course, coming in there, to like breaking out and doing seeing people in a different way through human design? Oh, that's a long story. Let's see. What's, <laughs> what's the quick version of that? Um, so I was working as a therapist and I was learning about so many things when it re was related to, of course, relationships, because I have my um, master's in marriage and family therapy. I actually went on to get my doctorate before I left the field. Um, and I never completed my dissertation because in that process, I it was when the unraveling started to happen in terms of like what I was seeing and what kind of I was aligning with and what wasn't really resonating or working in the field. And um, I started to tap first into nutrition, gut health specifically, and how that relates to psychological disorders. There's so much uh, incredible work there. Um, and, and as I got into that and the nutritional aspects of supporting the body, then I kind of met the next block, which is what stops people beyond just access to good food and education? Like what stops people from implementing that in their life? And then I started to tap more into like esoteric spiritual things. It started to bring me into these different arenas, just following healing. And I started to open up to things beyond kind of what I was conventionally trained in and it started to open these like boxes and 
you know, I was started to see things beyond where like we were taught to look, if that makes sense. And all of my own healings happening, like you, like you mentioned with my chart. So I'm going through my own healing process with my relationships, with myself, with my childhood, all of these things. And um, I'm starting to tap back into my own body because I'm doing meditation. I started uh, practicing Kundalini yoga in 2015 before I left. And I did a 40 day sadhana with my husband after we got married. So we got married in August and then we started this thing in September and neither of us knew what Kundalini yoga was at the time. I thought it was just like a vinyasa or like a hatha or just some kind of, you know, regular, regular westernized yoga. I don't know. And then we got into the class and uh, we had already committed to this 40 day container and they like did the tune in and it was like really weird. We were like, everyone was doing it. We we're like, what's going on? Why do people know this? What is this? And we, since we committed, we we're just like, okay, let's just see what happens. And my life changed just so much in those 40 days. Uh, just the way that I would show up, just the way that I could like hold space, just the way, like the, the uh, stillness in my own being, right? My therapy, like me as a therapist improved, the way I could hold space improved. And nothing in Kundalini yoga was touching anything with the mind. So that was intriguing to me because I'm like, how are these patterns that I've been working on as a, from a therapeutic modality and definitely going deeper with having aha moments with, but they've been, they, they were changing in my life, like without the understanding. So that was like, what, what, what is this? What's happening here? And, um, so that's kind of started. There's seeds of the nutrition, the yoga, mindfulness, getting into the body. And then I started to get into work that brought me back to my intuition. So there was something called Soul Journaling by Elisa Romeo. She writes a book, uh, Meet Your Soul. It's a really good book. And I started soul journaling, which is just basically journaling to your highest self, asking questions to your highest knowing and receiving the answers. And so I, and then at the same time, I was introduced to the work from Byron Katie. So it was like all these like things coming in, challenging my, allowing me the tools to like challenge and kind of dismantle the things I was taught that didn't really fit into like a holistic model of healing or that were limiting, I guess you could say. Um, so I'm like breaking down my own life, breaking down my degrees, breaking down my practice. And I was trained in EMDR. So it's like all these things, boom. And EMDR is beyond the mind a little bit in the sense that it, it's kind of, you know, we're working with these things, but we're taking them through this like bilateral movement. And that's exactly what you're doing in Kundalini Yoga without the mental understanding of the problem. So if you have therapy, it's like, uh, very mental or can be very mental. It really depends on the therapist. And then you have the in-between, which is like EMDR or any kind of modality that has that like bilateral movements, brain tapping, other things. And then you have Kundalini Yoga, which is like totally in the subtle realm, right? Of all those things and very effective. And EMDR was very effective too. I, once I was trained in that, I om it almost took over every session uh, just because the amount of growth was like a whole year in like two weeks. So it was just like exponential. So then that really got me thinking like, what is, what, what is, what is possible for healing? Um, and I was listening to my own intuition and I was, you know, I had been in school for so long and I really had trained myself to be that way because it wasn't really 
I mean, I'm a natural learner. I see that throughout my chart, but the, the institution of school and the way that we're programmed to learn was not built for me. I'm a right mind in human design. Uh, so schools are built for left minds where it's like, you know, you get information and you're memorizing facts and you're giving them back. So for me to be doing that, it was very exhausting on my physical body because it wasn't correct. I'm there to be like completely present and like the information just comes through. So, um, and I can really download a lot, but I can't always get it back unless somebody pulls it out of me. So it's kind of I'm curious. I'm curious, though, were you like a good student in school? Because I see in your chart that like it's probably pretty natural for you to fall into your mind and fall into like analysis and practicality. Yes. So that was like that was the easy. Yeah, that was definitely the easy way to go. And so I think that's why I fell into that for so long. And I was talking to my husband one day and I was like, I could fill this room with the amount of papers that I've had to write. And so like there was such a burnout at the end of my uh, program and my master's was fully aligned and my, my doctorate was definitely more of a mental decision of like, well, I have it available to me. I can go on. I got accepted. Like I like my professors, like, oh, it was all mental. I can get it paid for. Like, so, so, um, what I found there was it was like kind of reworking the same concepts I had already learned in the master's. And I really wanted to go wider, not um, deeper into that same thing. I wanted to continue going. I wanted to continue going deeper and wider. So um, specifically into intuition, which I think is interesting because um, it was a place I'd cut myself off from. I don't know if that's Capricorn Moon or what, but... Oh, yeah. Well, that's what I, exactly what I was talking about in your chart, this like opposition between Cancer and Capricorn. That's like the strongest aspect that's playing out in your chart. And Capricorn is like cut off from intuition completely, especially having a Capricorn moon. But then your Jupiter and your Chiron and Cancer in the ninth house like want you. Your expansion comes from tapping into your intuition. Your healing comes from tapping into your intuition. And oppositions aren't necessarily bad. Um, they can actually be really fulfilling. It can be like kind of that like make or break missing piece that enters. And it sounds like that's what happened for you once you discovered Kundalini and started opening yourself up. Up to intuition, not necessarily overriding your Capricorn moon and your Saturn, but also your Saturn return happened. I mean, I don't know how that played into it, but your Saturn being in Capricorn opposing all of these things, it sounds like that probably played into this whole journey. Interesting. So I'm wondering how it, I mean, because around my Saturn return was when I like, when I left and started questioning and um, yeah, yeah, so, I left it all. So when did human design come in? It sounds like you were led to the body first before you took like this dive into merging the mind and the body, which it feels like human design kind of does. Yeah, I would say it does that. It definitely does that in the sense that you're following your body and then it's a mental system. So um, a mental system that's only really valuable when you're in your body and following your own strategy and authority. So yeah, I was listening to my intuition and I was doing a Kundalini yoga uh, breathwork meditation and I was really on the edge of, am I going to leave my career? Because it was a really hard thing for me to leave. I was so attached to where I was going, how much I had invested. Uh, and But I could feel that like it was 
the the spark, the reason I entered was different. And now I was just staying, I was attached to something. I was holding on to something that was no longer correct. So I got this, this note from my intuition. It was like this uh, really loud message of internal knowing during a meditation that was like, you have to leave. It's time to pivot. You will die here. And I was like, what? Because I was so in my mind, not listening to intuition, but it was like the deepest kind of knowing truthful resonance like oh my gosh this is and i decided in that meditation i'm gonna leave and as soon as i decided that there was this explosion of energy in my sacral it was just like boom through my whole body and it was like all of my energy just like came back into my body and i like didn't even realize like it had left um so it just was a confirmation, like keep going. So after I, 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 so I kind of, my husband like was so supportive in this because, you know, working as an intern, I was like hardly making money anyways. I was like, okay, well let's just like see what happens if I leave this path. And I left and I started to decondition and I was following the flow. I was actually listening to Abraham Hicks and I was just following the flow of what lit me up, which is I'm a generator. So like that makes total, it was so aligned, not even knowing any of that. And I was going to the river daily and I was jumping in the cold water and I was listening to inspirational things. And I was only following everything that lit me up because I was like, I'm only going to have this little bit of space to truly follow it. Like just do it, go for it. And that's when I heard a podcast and just, it wasn't even a podcast on human design. Someone just mentioned the word human design. And they're like, I'm a projector. And the other one was like, I'm a manifesting generator. And I was like, what is that? I just instantly, it was like, boom, that resonance again. And I like, I need to go figure out what this is. And there wasn't a lot of stuff. It's really become very popular in like the last, um, several years, but there really wasn't a lot of stuff online at the time. And so when I was like kind of going down the rabbit hole with it, I didn't have anything except for like those words that like pulled me in. And now like looking at my design, I'm like, oh yeah, I was responding to that. Whatever that was, it was like my sacral was like, yes, go follow that. I love that so much. And I, I was also curious about whether you discovered Kundalini or human design first, because I know both are huge parts of your business. Um, but I love that you came back to the body before you were able to like bring in human design and then like connect the mind, you know, I think it's such a cool way things played out. So for people who are watching and they're like, okay, we want to learn about human design. What the hell is human design? Like, what is it? <laughs> so human design is a system that was brought into being from one individual who basically, he doesn't call it channeled, but for this, for these intents and purposes, we will. He channeled the system for seven days. And like, it's incredible. If you know the system at all, it's incredibly complex. So like the fact that that could come into being in seven days is really profound. Um, but it's a system that kind of is, it's combining these different systems that have already existed and yet it is none of them. So it's its taking together, you know, some things from astrology within the placement, some things from like the um, Jewish tree of life, which are the centers that you'll see. They're the little shapes that are like a triangle, a square. It's taking the chakras, but expanding them into nine versus seven from the kind of like the traditional um, chakra system. It takes into account the I Ching, which are these lines. And it's just like this really old ancient wisdom from China that is 
all about what it is to be like a human. It's like the, it's a book of what it is of our human experience, right? All of these different aspects of our nature is kind of taken in and those are the gates and those are the 64 gates that you see. And then it's also related to our genes. So the 64 gates within human design are also related to the 64 codons within our genetic code. And uh, one of the students of Ra-Uruhu, who was the man who channeled this, which he wouldn't call it channeled, but yeah, again, was uh, Richard Rudd, who wrote the Gene Keys. So he took it a step further and really got into like, you know, you can look at each of the 64 gates in our genetic code in terms of like, even down to the, uh, like this amino acid is related to this gate. And uh, each of the each of the different genes have, you know, a shadow, a gift and a Siddhi, which I think is so cool because it's like within all of us, there is a code. We can either be in the shadow of it. We can be in the gift of it or we can be in the Siddhi or, we, you know, we're usually kind of going between all of them. But the more that we embody the gift or the Siddhi is like the more we kind of bring that into the world, that like energy into the world. And you look at these, you know big change bringers of of our time like or not our time of humanity which would be like you know buddha jesus christ like like they were embodying the cities of these different genes right um and you need the shadow to get to the gift and you need the gift to get to the city so like there's nothing in it that's like right or wrong it's just a path which i love I I love that so much because I always remind people that with astrology too, I think especially as these modalities or, um, you know, I don't even know what to call them, human design, astrology, all these things become more popular. You see things online like, oh gosh, if you're this sign, then you have this quality, you know, and it's like, there's a shadow and a light to everything. But I love how human design takes it a step further. Do you know what does Siddhi stand for? So the, the the shadow gift in Sidhi is specific to the gene keys, which was taken by Richard Rudd out of the, but um, so the Sidhi is just the, the highest expression. Um, that's basically what it stands for. Yeah. So when something that. reaches its Sidhi, there's a point at which a gene can then evolve to then become something else. So like if enough of, of enough of people are embodying the Sidhi, then it's ready to evolve now to the next gene. So cool that it's like someone took it a step further. Now, was he able to like map how genes are actually being expressed with people's human design charts and like literally link it all? Yeah. So basically, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's incredible. I like such confirmation, especially for me as a very analytical, rational person. I'm like, when you see that, it just, you know, when you see things like make sense or play out, it just brings... For me, that's what brings validation. So for you, you're diving into human design. You probably are the same way. You probably need confirmation or validation to like fully invest in something just by looking at your astrology chart. When did you know like, oh, wow, I believe in this. Like this is working for me when you started learning human design. What I loved just off the bat with human design was that right away, Rob was like, this is not a belief system. You don't have to believe in anything. This is an experimental system. This is a scientific system. This is meant to be taken through your own life, through your own experience. And nobody can tell you, like nobody can tell you anything. Like at the end of like one of his, you know, teachings, he was like, okay, now forget everything I said and like go experiment. 
because you know we can get caught in the mind and he knew that but but the thing with the value of it is really about the lived experience so for me I'm a three five and the third line and it's a it's we all have a profile it's like the character we play so I'm a three five you're a four six we'll talk a little bit about that but the three energy is really the person that's here to trial and error like I learn through my experience and I, I can't I'm not the person that gets everything perfect and then puts it out it's like I'm the person that like jumps in feet first I learn as I go I make lots of mistakes and then I make it way better because of what I learned so. Um, that fit really well on a deep level that I wasn't even aware of. So I would say that my belief in the system continues to grow over time the deeper I go and the more I experiment because I start to see what I've learned in my own lived out experience. And it takes on such a deeper meaning when I live it out versus when I learn the thing. Um, so I would say it's it's been slow over time and I just like for me, I just was like, okay, I'll hold you as a curiosity. I'll keep investigating this. I'll keep looking at this and I'll keep experimenting with this. And if my life continues to change and get better, I'll keep doing it. So there wasn't, a, <laughs> there wasn't like a line in the sand for me, but it was just like, it's, it's been like a, you know, a progression of, and now at this point, when I read someone's chart, it's almost like I just trust that it's going to be accurate because of how many times I've read, how many charts I've read and how many times I've had that interaction. And it still blows my mind, but it's like fun. It's a fun thing to do. Absolutely. So did human design help you um, understand yourself better, understand other people better? How did it affect your relationships? Hugely. <laughs> Because like, so in human design, there's a concept called the not self. So essentially, it's when the mind is driving. It's when we're making decisions from all of the calculations that the mind makes versus that inner knowing that we all have, whether that be guttural or splenic or, you know, emotional or however you get your knowing. It's different for everyone, but we're kind of working off of that same kind of knowing stream right like still tapping into um what what you and i would experience as the guttural response because we're both generators i actually lost my train of thought <laughs> what, no what it's all good question? um just like how did this affect your relationships oh. you know like once you start looking at looked at your husband's mm -hmm. chart for example uh for me i know like that was the what sealed the deal on astrology for me. Like, oh, I can understand people better. I don't have to be so offended <laughs> by yes. what other people are doing, you know? Yes. So yeah, the not self mind, meaning like the way I was viewing certain things in our relationship was always from that place of like, it should be like this, or if it's not like this, what does that mean? Or, and then it it's just very, well, at first it was very triggering because I was very much living from my not self. So it was like very triggering of like, oh, Oh no, and funny and relieving and all of it, all of it at the same time. And mostly now it's just like a relief because we're so my husband and I like are so different and what you see in human design is that our genes are attractive to what is different. So like that's just what's going to you know opposites attract. That's a saying for a reason. And 
our personality tends to like sameness, right? Which is often what we will find in our friendships and stuff. But if it's not, if, if there's too much sameness in a partnership, it's kind of flat. It doesn't have the passion. I've had that and I didn't like that. And then I get with my husband and we're just so opposite. So you can really get in your mind about, should I be more like this? Should he be more like this? So it's just this um, permission to truly like be yourself and to love the person that's before you without kind of like projecting onto them all of your unhealed stuff or all of your like wants and desires and actually just like love the person that is before you. And the more that I would do that, the more that I would kind of accept him and accept myself, which is a big one too. It's like human design allowed me not only to accept the other, but to accept myself and the ways that I, what's correct for me, the ways that I would be hard on myself or, um, like I have an open heart, so do you. So we're not here to make promises. And we both have the 29, which is about making commitments. So we do have this energy to commit to things that are correct. And people want to us to commit to it. So we'll constantly, and we have it in the second line. So people are constantly trying to like pull it out to be committed to. But that's different than the heart, which is about willpowering our way there, which is about, um, making all these grandiose promises, which I love that you're doing your channel because it's like this kind of, um, it's a commitment, but there's like no promise like that you're giving to anybody for coming here. It's like, come here, take something, leave something, whatever you want to do, right? There's no like, okay, I'm going to sell you this and we're going to get, the, and you, we see that in a lot of the marketing strategies, which is correct for uh, defined hearts. And my husband's a defined heart. So I would see him do that. And whenever he would talk to me about stuff, he would always be giving me, advice from that defined heart right and just little things like that where you you are with somebody and the, your partner your people who are close with you like they're the ones they're the deepest conditioning forces because we spend the most time with them so really knowing yourself you can just kind of see that conditioning laugh and you don't have to like take it right or i can see the way that i speak about something and i'm like oh that doesn't apply or i'll get in my head about his thing and i'm like oh wait what am i doing i just follow your energy follow what's correct for you only you know so it's really taken uh, a lot of the mental gymnastics out of it for me which is nice because i am i'm a thinker so oh i believe it you have mercury and virgo so i definitely yes. believe that you're a thinker um it and gave my mind that, something to chew on the system instead of like all my relationships all the possibilities all the worries with your saturn on top of your moon what if what if what if that's very saturn conjunct the moon especially if you're emotional um you know i think there's a through line here and i know i keep relating human design and astrology but the reason i do that is because I really believe it all comes down to self-analysis. And of course, that's coming from like a very Virgo person. But I feel like having the tool, whatever tool resonates with you, whether it's numerology or the, the things we're talking about today, from your therapist self, how valuable do you think having a tool like this for self-analysis is for people to be able to start their healing journeys? So what's so funny is that I found the system after I left working with people. And I was like, man, if I would have had this, I would have been taking everyone. I'm like, whoever wants to do it, we're doing your chart, um, which is also kind of why I like that I, I left because I feel more free to be able to do it with whoever I work with. But um, I think it's so valuable because 
just just watching people, just doing sessions with them, just doing them this mentorship, like the amount of change, acceptance, and just deconditioning that happens from seeing these aspects of yourself that you, maybe you've you've fought with or tried to like you know. For instance, I have an emotional wave. So it goes up and it goes down. So do you. It goes from hope to despair. It's just what it does. It doesn't have a rhyme or reason. It doesn't, it's not doing it like, it's something you can control. And I remember writing like, okay, I want the high and I don't want the low. So like, how do I like, how do I learn enough? How do I do this enough to avoid the low? And for emotionals, like that's so deeply painful to to try to like change what is something you can't change, right? rather than just accept it and love it and see what the low brings you because the low for us it's like you put on your rose colored glasses when you're in the high and everything looks so great and shiny and wonderful and you just wake up and you're and you give that high to everyone you see everyone that you come into contact with gets to ride the high with you everyone who's open emotionally you like they amplify your high and then when you're in the low it's like you put on a different you put on these different glasses and you see things that you missed when you were in the high and it's not always like beautiful things right sometimes it's really like it's despair, right? So sometimes it's like things that you're like, oh, I didn't want, but you don't act from that place, right? You just keep riding the wave and the wave will show you so many different things at different points in the wave. So accept it. So I feel like within this kind of like therapeutic model, and I, and it's funny that you asked me this because now I want to do a training with a therapist because whenever that comes into being and it's the correct timing because I feel that it's such an invaluable tool and could it just help with so many things, especially things we tend to medicate that don't actually need medication that just need deeper understanding and space and acceptance. So um, I feel to answer your question in a roundabout long way, like it's invaluable. And I think, I think it could really um, change the healing process for so, so, so many people. I, I think also, you know, there's so much value in getting a reading on something like this, especially human design, because it's so complex. But even just starting to open yourself up to the awareness, I feel like can be just so transformational on its own. And we live in the information age. You know, if you find out you are uh, a projector, you can literally Google, like, what does that mean? What resonates with me that I'm reading? And start your own journey. And I encourage that with anything you're getting into, you know? And I think for a long time, I had this, like, oh God, there's so much information out there. It's so overwhelming with everything. And then I kind of reframed it, like, wow, so many people have access to healing themselves, understanding themselves better when they get that ping of inspiration, like, I want to learn more about that. I'm really a true believer in like, whatever I need to know will come into my awareness when I need to know it. And, you know, like I said, perfect timing with human design. I just got that ping to like, look up my chart and then this all worked out. So um, the one thing, one more thing I want to touch on before we pull up my chart and you start to kind of break down the different elements of human design were you always a spiritual person or did kundalini and human design open you up to spirituality so as a child deeply on my own yes like i would talk to god all of the time i would just be like having conversations i like um 
very connected to the earth as well. I mean, maybe that's the Virgo, but like I, I remember like yeah. hang, hanging with the trees and I learned later, okay, well that's because I have an open spleen and trees often define my spleen. So it's a sense of safety for me, um, which is so true. I like wrote many poems about my favorite tree as a kid and like hanging out there and feeling safe. And um, so I would say that I was deeply spiritual as a child. And then I remember getting to high school and I was, I was raised Christian and I, we went to church like basically every Sunday, but my parents were pretty chill about like, it was just kind of a like God exists and you find your own way kind of thing. It wasn't really uh, very strict or rigid. Um, and then my grandparents on my mom's side who lived on the street, like my grandmother, I would, I, she's such a mystical woman um, and wasn't religious. Um, but was also very blocked in her a way to do that, right? Because there was so much like trauma and things she was holding from the family lineage. Um, so, and that's kind of that whole thing growing up with my family dynamics around is really what got me into the therapy path. And to begin with was like, how do you like deal with all this and not just like redo it, you know, to not just like keep, keep the cycle going. How do you actually stop it and shift it? Um, deeply curious about that. But so coming from that background, it was just a fact. It was like, this is just a fact. Christianity is a fact. God is a fact, you know, whatever. And then I got into high school and I took a mythology class. And a lot of the mythology uh, like um, stories were biblical stories. And I was like, wait, what? These are like biblical stories. Like what some of these like Noah's Ark or just certain ones that had repeated in different forms. And so then I started to question, wait, why do I believe this? And like if I lived somewhere else, I'd be something else. If, you know, if I was in the Middle East, I'm likely going to be something completely different. So why am I so, so really now I want to know what else is out there. So I started to leave religion in the way that I was uh, question, God, question, spirituality, question, 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 everything in college. And I started to go more into a secular thing, which was like Buddhism and like learning about, the, just that because I felt like, okay, well, at least I can have some kind of um, grounding here. And then I left everything altogether. I would say I was pretty agnostic and, and I wasn't deeply in my studies, deeply in the mind. And that's then my road back was very like, um, it was like little doors opening, kind of like I described. There was a lot of little experiences I didn't talk about. Um, until it was embodied in me. And it just was like, I was having these crazy things that happened to me that I couldn't explain otherwise. So that's kind of what opened me back into, and I was like, oh yeah, I used to be very like mystical as a child. Um, so yeah. Oh, I love that. I really appreciate you sharing like your journey into human design. A reason I like to ask all these questions is because for me, I need to know like why people believe what they believe, like how they got there, you know, and like I'll pull out my chart now. We'll talk about human design. We'll talk about what it all means. I know that's why a lot of people came here, but I always like to start with the foundation of like, why does somebody, why has someone literally shaped their life around this practice, you know? So I'm going to pull up my chart and cool. I'm going to just kind of like let you take the reins from here since I know little to nothing about human design and you know all the things. So this is me, right? This is, yep. this is me. 
So one thing I, I thought of when you were talking before that I, when it comes to like belief in the system or just kind of uh, evidence, I guess you could say something tangible. So Rat Ruhu talked about the neutrino stream and he talked about neutrinos and as a fact before scientists discovered their existence and there was a Nobel prize that was won. I can't remember the year, but it was after Ra had talked about them. Then it was like kind of proven through what we had learned. So basically the we live in this neutrino stream and this relates also to the astrology, to the planets. And I think is all interlinked, which is, you know, it's around us all the time. And the planets themselves are like, so these neutrinos are coming through the planets and the planets are filtering this stream. So that's why we have this, like what is called weather every day that's shifting and changing. And there's an imprint that is made 80 degrees before you are born. And that's this uh, left side, which you see this column, it says design. That's 80 mm -hmm. degrees before you were born. That's the calculation um, of your design crystal. So you have this, you have a design crystal and a personality crystal and they're held together inside of you through this, what is called this magnetic monopole. And none of this matters, but, but I just thought it was cool that, so this crystal is getting imprinted 88 degrees. And then when you're born at the exact moment that you leave your mother, um, doesn't matter how you're born, but the exact moment that you and her are separate is when your personality, so the time of that you were born, that's your personality side. So you have these two um, very specific times of being imprinted by the data stream, and then you're always in the data stream, but you have what is your what is your defined kind of characteristics come from that? And so it's like the thing that's consistent in you throughout all of the moving weather, moving and changing weather. And it's the thing that you bring to any space that you're in. So it's often the things that you think are not very special because they're everywhere you are. <laughs> So we can often kind of think like, yeah, can't everyone do that? Yeah, everyone, da, 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 because you take it everywhere. So like, um, it's usually I, always going back to like, what is the most natural thing to you? What is the thing that you do and you take for granted? What is the thing that um, you did as a child that before you knew that it was something you maybe shouldn't be doing or whatever, right? Like, that's why we take us back there, because it's before we've been conditioned to a point away from what was actually uh, true for us. And, and Rob brought this system in for the children because he was like, you know, we need to respect them via like honoring, not taking, not, not conditioning them outside of what's correct for them. And it's done innocently, right? Because most people don't know. It's like, you know, you, ha you have a generator child and their sacral gut will literally say, uh-uh, to anything that like, is coming in food wise that they that there is not resonating with their body and what do we do we say come on eat it you know because we want them to eat it's coming from this place of you know loving them but also in, in, in innocence not knowing and then it's kind of like but with the way that we take people slowly slowly away from listening to their own body to uh, living by like the rules of our mind. And so this system was brought in specifically for children so that we can kind of allow them to, like we're just there to observe what they're doing. We're not really here to like teach them how to be themselves. We're just like here to not take them away uh, from it. But anyway. I love that. I feel like same with like astrology or any of these things. Like I love when people have little kids and they're starting to get into it because it's literally just the practice of like seeing them as their own being. 
Yeah. You know, like I think so often, and I'm I'm not a parent, but just in my observations, so often parents feel this pressure to like shape their child into this person that they think they should be when it's like, no, we already came here with like all of these qualities and all of this magic in us. And I think there's this shift happening among parents. Like it's just our job to nurture what's already within you rather than shape that thing. And something I, you said, 88 degrees before we are separated from our mother, before we are born is when the design part of our chart is formed. So is that like, does that come from like the gestation period or do you know the theory behind that? So, so essentially, and this gets a little mystical. So when you, when you are conceived, you, your father, there is a design crystal that comes up from this bundle in the earth. There's, a, there's bundles of earth crystals, which come from the design side and comes through to then impregnate the egg. So the father brings the kind of design into the egg. And then there is a, the body is being formed. So 88 degrees before you're born and all of the time before that so that like window of when you were first conceived all the way up to 88 degrees that's when the body itself the physical vehicle is being formed but yes the imprint of the design is at the very end of that so cool so it's almost like the design is like the more physical and then personality is more mental is or yeah. is that simplified okay no, that's okay. exactly right the design is your body the personality is more like your mental I love that. Yeah. Personality okay. is conscious. It's like who you think you are. And then design is more unconscious. And often it's like how your closest people see you or people who really know you or you've learned about yourself through others, right? Because you have it reflected enough times back that this thing that you don't really have conscious access to is always like with you and around you. Yeah. Ooh, this is so cool. Okay. So the only thing I knew about human design when I first learned what it was um, was through a mutual friend of ours. And she was like, it was Tuesday. She's like, what's your human design? She was selling cute shirts with your human design on it. And I was like, I don't know. So I went home and looked it up and I was like, oh, I'm a manifesting generator. And just what I read about it, someone who like needs to be doing a ton of things all the time, <laughs> constantly, <laughs> you know, working on new projects. I was like, okay, well, this this tracks. Uh, but then I looked at the rest of the chart and I was like, what? <laughs> I don't, I don't know how to translate this. So, you know, for somebody just looking at their chart, what do you think is the first thing you should focus on or start learning about? So definitely. So Ra was always making the system more and more simple. That was his design was to take this super complex system and then slowly make it make it into these chunks that were more digestible for your lay person who's not going to like go down the rabbit hole. Right. How can we make this applicable to, like you're saying, the lay person coming in having no clue? So the, the first thing and the most important thing is finding out your type, which mm -hmm. you just mentioned. So there's there's four types. And then there's subtypes. So there's four auric types, and uh, they are the generator, which is um, what you and I are. I'm a pure generator. You're a manifesting generator. So manifesting generator is a subtype, and you're actually a pure manifesting generator, which is because you have the this uh, channel, the 3420, that goes from the sacral, which is what makes you a generator. If you have a defined sacral, it's this like second. Uh, square from the bottom. Yeah, that one. So if you have mm -hmm. that defined, 
AKA like colored in, then you're a generator, either a manifesting generator or a pure generator. And if since you have that 34 going all the way to the throat, you're a pure manifesting generator because you're taking the sacral energy and you're bringing it to the throat. So you're bringing that like life force, which is the sacral. The sacral is creative. It's the life force. It has to do with uh, it, it's it's the thing that, you know, birds all life on the planet. It's the builder um, and it's here to, to do what it loves. It's here to be deeply satisfied by its own work that it's doing. Um, and when it goes all the way to the throat, it's it's that's that manifesting potential that then comes. But you're still orically a generator, which means your strategy is to respond. So you respond to what comes to you, whether that be through somebody saying something, a podcast, something inspired you, literally the way the light hits a roof. Ra would say, you know, when you talk to generators and he's like, okay, you have to wait to respond, that they would be like, well, what if there's nothing to respond to? He's like, as a generator, you can't not respond. You're always responding. So all you have to do is just not initiate which is what manifestors are here to do so basically as a manifesting generator you're here to respond to something that lights you up and then you're here to take action via that manifesting thing so that's a, that's how it's kind of like different is then you can then take that response into action without anybody else um, and you have two motors that go to the throat so you have the 36 35 which would make someone a generator with a manifesting potential, but they also get kind of categorized into manifesting generators. But technically the pure manifesting generators is only the 3420, but you know, any motor to the throat will make someone who's a generator, a manifesting generator. And so, so you have these different streams of action that you can kind of bring to the throat on your own, which the throat is our manifestation. It's where we take action where things come out into the world. So we have these generators who make up 70% of all types, split almost in half via manifesting generators and peer generators. And so what the world around us is a generator world because it's like all of the themes we see, like, you know, uh, do the work you love and have a family and all these things are very, they're from the generator world. And the generator has its kind of signature, which is satisfaction. So how do you know you're doing it right as a generator? You're satisfied. You feel deeply satisfied. It's a guttural, sacral satisfaction. And when you're off track, your signpost is frustration. So generators will experience frustration if they entered into something incorrectly, right? Like if you were like with your mind trying to manipulate an outcome or trying to make something happen, not following your actual gut, then you can it can lead you to deep frustration. And and so many generators have been enslaved by what Ra would call manifestor propaganda. So it's like they've been enslaved to build the kingdoms and do work that's not actually correct or satisfying to them and so we have a frequency on the planet of like this generator frustration and so he said if you could get generators if you can wake up generators which they're the easiest type to wake up because they just have to start responding and they can do it right now it's this the easiest type to begin uh, and just go and send them on their way he's like you would really change the frequency of the planet because generators who are satisfied, like that 70% of us, they literally make up the ecosystem we live in. Um, and they are the ones that like 
create a lot of the rules, whether they be correct rules or not self rules. Um, so that's the generators. And then you have, the, of course, like the subtypes of manifesting generators, but they all have this aura. Generators have this aura that is open and enveloping. So that's what makes someone a generator is this sacral definition and this kind of open enveloping aura. That's so when you're with a generator, they can like, they like uplift you when they're satisfied, right? Like they give energy to things just by being satisfied. So um, the way you can really love a generator is not to, to, to make them do anything that they don't actually want to do that's not correct for them. Don't guilt trip them. Don't uh, let them change their mind. Let them say, especially a manifesting generator who, you know, could say yes. And then actually it's like now it's a no. Allow them to change their mind because their satisfaction serves the whole, serves everyone, serves your family. If you're in a like a family unit and you're someone's a you know a generator, it's like their satisfaction is going to serve you, and their frustration is also gonna you know work against you in some way. It's gonna create a lot of resistance. Um, well, that's but- exactly what I needed to hear about my partner, who's a generator. <laughs> I'm like, okay, guilt tripping is not gonna help. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. So like the more that generators can be aligned with that, like sacral thing, whatever's lighting them up, they not only create more energy, but they literally restructure our world, like I was saying. And so it's like, you can either have a generator who's so overwhelmed, they become like a couch potato because their sacral energy has basically died from just taking on things. So if you're a generator, just like, and you're, and you feel low energy, like we are the types that are here to, to work the nine to five or not even a nine to five necessarily. Right. Because that depends on your design, but, but it, in terms of like, when we are really into what we're doing, we can do it all day, all night, like, because it's giving us energy. So like, if you're getting really burnt out as a generator, the first thing is just like, what's on your plate that you can say no to what's on your plate. That's not an F yes, that you can just start to like, nope, this no nope this isn't lighting me up anymore are you an obligation is huge for generators because they have that sacral energy that the whole planet is looking for it's the life force so um people are going to want it and that doesn't mean it's correct for you so you have to be very discerning and you have to know yourself um in terms of what's correct and that comes to your authority which we'll talk about in a little bit but that's the generator type generators man gens and then there are just manifestors too right yeah so then you have the pure manifestors and Ratru, who was a manifestor hence him you know downloading the system and then impacting everyone so manifestors are here to get the internal ping right so generators we get ours outside of us because that's the only way and it's just a mechanic the only way we can know if the sacral energy is available for that thing and will lead to satisfaction is if we're in response that's it if we are initiating we can't actually know if we truly have the energy and if the energy use is correct and will lead to satisfaction if we're initiating for manifestors they get this internal download it's like an urge. It's like an urgency. They're the, they're, they're like the fastest type. Generally speaking, if they're an emotional manifester, they're going to need time to process. If they're a triple split, which we won't have time to go in here, they're going to need more time. But generally speaking, it's like, they're really quick. Right. And so, and manifesting generators are quick too, because they have that manifesting potential. Right. And they have that sacral sustaining energy. So they're like the energizer, you guys are like the energizer bunnies when you're correct, when you're living uh, in alignment. 
And then you have this like manifester that just like wants to just get that thing out. It's like, I can't sit on this thing. It must be birthed now. And if they wait too long, sometimes that thing is like, okay, well, it's too old now. It's I'm, I'm moving on to the next thing. Um, so they're the ones that are here to birth things, to initiate, to get the ball rolling, but they're not the sustainer of the ball rolling, right? So they might start something, then they need generators to sustain it right? And they have a closed and repelling aura. So like it's a impact. They're here to have impact. So like literally their aura is not taking in the other. Generators, we have this open enveloping. So we're taking in the other and the other can feel us and taste us. Manifestors, it's like you can't figure out what's going on in there because it's pushing outward. So it's like you're like, it's like the person where you're like, you can't quite figure out like what's going on in there. Like, you know, my mother uh, is a manifester. And I thought that was so funny figuring out later because people would be like, I was so scared of your mom when I first met her. And then I got to know her and she's so wonderful. And I'm like, I never, I was always like so confused why that happened. And I'm like, oh, manifester aura. You like can't tell what's going on until the person lets you know. So that's their strategy in life to meet less resistance is what your strategy is here to help you meet less resistance, right? So generators, your strategy is to respond. Manifestors, your strategy is to inform and initiate. So the informing piece is not natural to the manifestors. They are the ones who were building the kingdoms and the queen. They were the ones enslaving generators, like historically. They're not here to do that now. Now they're here to live in peace. It's a different time period. But historically, they were the kings and the queens, and they were the ones enslaving generators to build their kingdoms. And they were the ones that like seemingly looked to be uh, like more advanced or like to have more power in a sense because they didn't need permission from anyone else to move. Right. So it's like literally it's so funny when I see little kids and they don't look to mom and dad and they just take off towards something that they want and they don't even look back. I'm like manifest their child. And then I like will do their charts and their little manifestors. I'm like, of course, because most kids will kind of be like, is this okay? You know, they'll check in. But mm -hmm. manifestors are like, oh, I see that thing. I just want to go and I'm going to go do it. So little kid manifestors need to learn how to ask for permission so that they meet less resistance. And then adults need to learn how to inform. So as an adult manifestor, you're not here to be like, um, asking permission, you lose all of your magnetism and power as a manifester. If you're asking permission, your power is in being so aligned with what is your truth and then informing everyone around you that's going to be affected by your movement so that they have an awareness of what you're doing, where you're going to go. So for instance, this might look like if you're a manifester and you have a family and you want to quit your job, you're not going to just quit your job and then tell your wife like, hey, I quit my job. You're going to let her know. You're going to inform her, hey, I'm going to quit my job today. That will create a lot less resistance. Or in a really mundane example, it's like, okay, you have a couple and they're sitting on the couch. One's, one's a generator, one's a manifester. The manifester is like, um, I'm out of this thing. I want to go get it at the store down the corner. So they just get up from the couch, walk out the door. And then the generator is like, wait, what just happened? Where did they go? What's happening? They get back and the, they get into a fight. She's like, where did you go? Why didn't you tell me? What? what da, da, da. And the manifestor is like, why do you need to know? Why are you so controlling? Da, 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 right? So because they don't understand why anyone would need them to tell. It's not natural. Why would that, you need me to inform you? Um, but it, it could be that 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 whole fight could be avoided by the manifestor just being like, I'm going to go get, get some cigarettes, right? Or whatever the thing is. Um, and 
if you are dating a manifester, if you know a manifester, your strategy of, in engaging them is also to inform them. So it's like, if you want a manifester to do something, first of all, you don't have control over that. So let it go. Um, but secondly, it would just be to inform them. So if it's like, if you want them to pick up, you know, oat milk at the store, you're not going to say, hey, go get some oat milk. You're going to say, hey, we're out of oat milk. And then you leave it up to them to, to what they're going to do, right? And oftentimes they will pick that thing up and they'll go do it if it's correct for them to go do. So um, that's the same with generators, right? You don't want, you want to give generators, if you have them in relationships, you want to give them things to respond to, things their sacral can say yes to or no to, rather than being like, hey, to a generator, where do you want to go to eat, which is like open-ended, say, do you want Chinese or do you want Japanese? Like, you know, give them options so that they can hear their sacral response um otherwise it's going to be crickets because they're like uh you know i don't know i can make something up for you let me think let me think um but it doesn't mean that's going to be correct uh once you get there so that's generators so helpful <laughs> already i'm like that i have this disagreement all the time of like what are we going to have for dinner and i realize that if since i have some manifester in me that i'm the one that's probably going to have to make the decisions from now on. <laughs> yeah, and and like, can you find something that you can respond to? Like maybe follow a blog you like or somebody who yeah. where you constantly have something that you can respond to. Like that's what I'm, you know, we can respond to a blog, we can respond to a, a yeah, follow someone on Instagram or a cookbook this or why I need a meal plan. I need, <laughs> both of us do actually. Okay, so we have manifestors, mangens, generators, and then there are two more, right? That are like, I've heard a little bit about projectors, but the last one, I'm like, I don't know yeah. anybody that's this thing. It's a very small percent. So yeah, we have projectors. So um, they, manifestors are also a small part of the population. Uh, they're the second smallest group. And then projectors are like 15%. 20% thereabouts. Um, but they're also a growing number. And they're kind of the, they're the newest type. Um, they came into being, I think, like 1781. So that's interesting. And they came to be the new guides. So they're here to be the new CEO. So what we're traditionally manifestors would be the leaders. Um, but they're not really built to guide, right? Gen projectors are here to guide. So projectors are here to make things more efficient. They are really good at making some they're really good at learning a system and it could be so many different things like it, it could be you know the system could be varied right one of the systems could be human design jenna zoe who's who uh my human design she's a projector so they're here to and she really does a beautiful job i feel at taking the system and making it more available to people who don't necessarily want to learn all the mechanical information and languaging and all the things that could maybe turn someone off about the traditional system. If you're not really, if you're like, what does that all mean? You know, she's somebody who really does a, a beautiful job at like breaking it all down, making it more simple to understand. And that's a very projector thing, right? Because projectors are here to make things work smoother. So if you have in the traditional sense, manifestors initiating things, getting the ball rolling, and you have man gens and generators building it and taking action and building it and taking action. And then you have projectors, they're guiding that process, mm -hmm. making everyone more efficient. They're the seers. So the way that their aura works is it's like this penetrating aura into the other. And it works really well when it's one-on-one -on -one because they can really penetrate into another person and help and make them feel seen and see what like kind of is happening there. Like maybe like what's getting blocked or 
um, depending on their certain like skills and what they have in their chart. Every projector is so different. And so the projectors are here to really, I mean, they really need to like understand their design so that they can be properly recognized and invited. So that's where we get to their strategy. Uh, generators are responding, manifestors are initiating, and projectors are here to be recognized for what is true, their true skills, their true gifts, and invited to lead. So projectors are non-energy types. So manifestors and generators are called energy types because manifestors have an energy system going to the throat, and then mangens and generators also have the energy system. But projectors don't have the sacral energy, and so nor do they necessarily, they're just called non-energy types. So they're not here to regenerate en energy. They're not here to do a traditional like nine to five or really even work a ton of hours in the day. They're here to really get into like whatever their uh, system is, whatever they're studying, whatever they're, whatever they're really getting deep with. And they're here to guide the others for, you know, four to six hours and be really efficient in the time that they work and then take a break. So they often get caught up trying to be a generator or a manifester because we've been conditioned this way. Uh, manifestors also get caught up in that too. They're really here to, uh, you know, again, initiate. And then there's a break period usually, especially if they have a defined heart. It's like you need to have a space where you um, give yourself rest. And often people are like, why can't I keep up like with the other generators? It's because you work differently, your energy is different. So for projectors, their signature is success. When they live as themselves, they master the system they came here to master that is inherent to them. And they're recognized for the, what is true for them and invited to lead. They get access to that energy. So there's no problem. And then they need to learn how to then unhook from the energy and get in their own aura at the end of the day, sleep in their own aura decondition all the sacral energy they're around the buzz of the sacral energy and go to sleep before they're tired so they can really get caught up especially if they're uh, if they have a defined root and a defined heart because those are both motor centers they can have um they can get caught up like trying to keep up i guess you could say but they're going to experience a lot of uh bitterness and burnout because it's not it's like you know, anytime we try to be what we're not, we're not going to be as successful as just being ourselves. And so for them, it's like really, they amplify that sacral energy. So like it's for them, it's really important to learn how to disconnect from it. And I noticed that's like probably their biggest challenge is to like disconnect from the sacral energy. It because almost it's... sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, like projectors almost like need someone else's energy to like work with. Yes. So they're basically like that is, so when they are recognized and invited, they have access to the energy and that's kind of what they're looking for. That's like, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and one correct invitation can change their whole life. They could go years without the right invitation and then all of a sudden get the right one. And how do you know when they're like living as themselves? They're, they're successful. They're here to be successful. So, um, and the flip side of that is bitterness. So it's like, the, the projectors that are overworked and offering their guidance to people who don't appreciate it, don't evaluate, don't see them and don't really take it in, won't really listen. Cause it's like, if you're a projector, if someone it's two, 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 if someone invites you or doesn't properly recognize and invite you, then you don't have 
you're just meeting a wall of resistance, which is going to make you burnt out and bitter. And you will feel totally unrecognized. And the the generator, like if you're a projector, you came here to not only recognize others, but to be recognized. So if you have any projector children, recognize them, see their gifts and show them to them and be like, you're so, because projectors with that penetrating aura into the other, they don't see themselves very clearly. Mm. So they need the other, they need the other types to be, to, to recognize them. So um, for projectors, one way to kind of like know you're in the right environment with the right people, which is so important for projectors is, are you being properly recognized? Are you being invited? And if you're not, Take your energy elsewhere. Take your focus, your attention elsewhere so that you can get the correct invitations and recognition. And then reflectors are like the rarest. Yeah, they're only 1%. Oh, so or, they- or less than, yeah. So do you, have you like met reflectors? I seen them in the wild? I've met them through, but and I believe. Uh, actually, Tuesday was dating a reflector. So I met him. Oh. But yeah, other than that, I've only met them like via online. Because, um, you know, it's it's easier to find them in on the online space because they're more rare. So it's like, oh, a reflector. So <laughs> reflectors, like, okay, so the, the, the builders, the generators are building, the manifestors are initiating, the projectors are guiding, the reflectors are reflecting back to the whole how they're doing. So they're kind of like the center of any community that they're in. And if the reflector is not doing well, your community, it's a, your community is not doing well, right? Like if the reflector is struggling in their mental health, that's a signal that the community is not mentally well, if they're struggling in their physical health, right? So it's like, they're here to, because they have everything open. So they're the only- I was going to say, it sounds highly empathic. Yes. Yeah. So their job, like they can be anything, like depending on the transits, they wake up and they're a manifester, they wake up and they're a reflect, or sorry, a a generator, they wake up and they're a projector, right? So they know what it is to truly like feel into all of those um, different designs. And it's different than if you have, you know, one or two open centers, when you have them all open as a reflector, um, there's no like bias. The not self works differently for them because of how open that they are. And if they, they're really, they're vulnerable, but they're not, they're like, they're both vulnerable if they don't understand what they are and who they are. And if they just let other people that are wrong for them, like guide their life. But if they truly give themselves the space to honor their own design, they are, pretty resilient. Their their aura is this kind of I almost think of it like an oil. It's like sampling the what's around them, but it's like also kind of not allowing it to come completely in. Does that make sense? So it's like a sampling, mm-hmm. tasting, but it's like oil and water. Like it's not it it can you can shake it, but it's going to always separate. separate. Um so oh. for them it's like who are you around? If you're a reflector, like your people around you are going to guide your life and you're they're lunar beings, they're guided by the moon. So they wait 28 days of the moon cycle um to make decisions. So in a world that's like no right now, they're not built for that. And um they have to really work against the conditioning to honor that. If they're making a big life decision like a move, a relationship, um a job, whatever, like they need that cycle to really know how they feel about that. And if that thing is correct for them, and their signature is surprise. So it's this like, 
just like delight, delight and surprise in life. And their um, signpost that they're kind of living incorrectly is disappointment. I need to go look up everyone in my life <laughs> design now, just, not even to like see the full chart, but even yeah. understanding the types uh, more. I'm like trying to figure out like, what's my dad? What's yeah, my mom? Yeah, yeah. And like knowing their astrology makeup has helped me so much, but I feel like human design goes so much deeper into like, you keep bringing up this concept of correctness. And I know you use this a lot in everything you do. How do you know if something is correct for you and for your design? So it, that's through the strategy and authority. So it's different based on your type, but then also how you hear what is correct for you. So correctness in human design is a, is a specific term in human design. And it basically just means being in alignment with your strategy and your authority. So your strategy, let's just take it in part. So for you, you're a, gener a manifesting generator with emotional authority. And you have a defined spleen and a defined sacral and a defined emotion center. So you have this complex way of making your decisions. And hold on, let me look at something. And your split definition. Okay, so you need time to process what is correct for you. And more comes over time for you. You gain wisdom over time. You have your spleen. The spleen is this kind of um, instantaneous knowing in the now. So if you're a splenic being, meaning you only have the spleen defined in terms of these three awareness centers at the, at, at the bottom, the spleen, the sacral, and the emotion center, they're those like three centers right above the root. If you have, yeah, if you have one of those, um, so sorry, if you have none of those and you just have the spleen, then you're what is called a splenic authority person and you are built to make your decisions instantaneously in the now and it doesn't ever come with any rhyme or reason. It's like this, just this knowing, right? And you, it won't speak again. So it's like, it will tell you like, if say you're driving in a car and it's going to help you avoid a car accident, it'll be like, turn left and it won't speak again. So if you go, wait, what, why turn left? And you argue with it, you're going to get into an accident because the spleen is like the oldest kind of um, awareness center. It's something that animals also have, right? So it's like that thing that like, Animals know when the storm is coming, they're going to, or a flood, they'll climb to like the mountaintop, right? That's the spleen. And they don't have this prefrontal cortex like us. So they're not going to argue with the spleen going, climb the mountain. They're just going to go. Uh, that's what trips us up as humans is that we're still very much driving from our mental plane, making decisions. And the mind can take in data, but it can't tell you what is correct for you. That's where your authority comes in. So some people have their spleen as their authority. And you have that intelligence in your body graph, that splenic in, instantaneous knowing, but it's not- I have had that before where it yeah. like comes through, but that's not all the time. Yeah. So for you, you'll get those pings, but they're not the things that you drive your life by. It's not the thing that you make your big decisions based off of, but you might like, and smell is your strongest sense. So you might go into a restaurant and be like, it stinks in here. So then you're like, get out of here. That's something, it's your spleen saying something <laughs> in you here is not good for you. And you can trust that when it comes to relationships too. Like, um, it, because you specifically have smell as your cognition, it's like, do you like the smell of the person you're with? Do you like the smell of the environment you're in? Do you like the smell? You know, that can tell you a lot of information about what's correct for you. 
I um, have literally decided not to date someone because they didn't smell terrible. I was just like, I can't be around this smell long term. The smell for you, whatever it was. It was like something in this is not correct. My skin's yeah. letting me know and I'm out of here. And then you have your sacral, which is the gut, that square in the middle. And um, it's it's so the, the sacral doesn't speak with like a yes or a no per se, it's actually guttural. It's like this, uh-huh, uh-uh. It's like a grunty thing. So it's very um, ancient kind of like caveman, like, uh-uh, uh-huh. You know, you hear it, you'll hear it so purely in kids. I love it. Um, they'll just be like, uh-huh, uh-uh. You know, you can see the reaction of the, the, the sacral because the sacral is either repulsed by something or it's like, going toward it, right? So that's your sacral response. So for you as a generator, you can really trust that even though you have emotional authority, you can trust that when it comes to what you're eating and like the people and all these things, because you're either going to have a guttural reaction of like, ooh, or, uh, you know, and listen to that. It's not something that's stupid or small, or I just need to get over it and just eat this food because it's healthy. Your gut's telling you it's not what your body wants or it's not the right condition or it's not the right place or whatever it's telling you. We never really know because it's not giving us that information. It's just telling you yes or no. And so the fun thing to do with this um, for myself, if you're somebody who, you know, wants to experiment with this, just take note of what your gut says, whether you follow that or not, and then see what happens. Um, One quick example would be I was on a walk with my son And I felt this like ping of like, okay, turn around and go home. And, and I thought it was for a different reason. My mind was like, oh, for that reason, I don't need to go home. Like, why? But I'm like, no, I can feel a clear, like, go back. So I'm going to just, I'm just going to listen to that. I'm just going to go back and see what happens. Um, Because you can experiment with it if you have time and you want to just play it out and see what happens. Because it's only when we tune in, listen, receive the information and then trust and like let it guide us. And then we get that feedback loop. Can we really start to trust and hear it? Right. Our intuition is going to get louder the more we tune into it. So I walked back and I had dropped um, like one of my my phone case that I used to like block EMFs. And I was like, oh, I'm so glad I gave it. It was only like half a block back, but my mind thought I was going back to my house and was like arguing with why would I do that? And so it's just fun to see over and over again that my mind never really knows why my intuition is choosing something. But over time, I've just learned to trust. Okay, well, it's telling me this. So I'm just going to trust that's why it's telling this. Or like that one time we were doing the sleepover and I'm like, I'm hearing from my intuition that I'm not going to stay, but I don't know why. And then we found out later, oh, that's why. Um, right. So it's just interesting because the mind will always have a reason. If that's what it does. It makes up a reason. Um, and that's totally fine, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's why. So you have this sacral that's strong for you when it comes to in the moment decisions about like food or, you know, things that are going to happen in the moment that you wouldn't necessarily like, you're not going to wait to eat (laughs) what you're going to eat, you know? So, but for your bigger decisions in life, for your decisions that kind of are like accepting an invitation of some kind or accepting some kind of like offer or a a relationship, a job, a move, that is going to come over time for you because you're an emotional. So if you have the solar plexus defined, then you are an emotional, that is your authority because it kind of like, it is the, it like reigns over all the other authorities because it's so powerful. So if you have it defined, the saying is there's no truth in the now. 
So we can get an answer when we're in our high. So you're in your high and somebody comes to you with something and they're like, do you want to do this thing? And you're like, yes, I do want to do that thing. And then you sleep on it and you realize actually I don't have time or that wasn't correct or not right now or whatever. Um, you're more likely to say yes in the high because you just feel so good and it's just easy to be like, yes, yes, yes. And then when you're in the low, you're more likely to kind of like pull out of things, cancel things, be like, oh, this isn't going to work. Let's not do this. Um, so you're not built to make decisions from that space of the high or the low because the emotions color everything so much. There's no clarity. So that's why we say there's no truth in the now, because if you're in the high, you're just seeing with rose colored glasses. If you're in the low, it's the opposite. So you don't want to make your life decisions. And that's where, you know, if you are, you can appear to other people to be like super like in and out wishy-washy because it's like in the high it's a yes and then low it's a no so you wait until the middle point of the wave when you reach this kind of cool calm collected that you always do throughout your wave and deeper than that if you're emotional it's like when the nervousness to make the decision has left because there will always be like an 80 percent Sure. There's always like a 20% you don't know, right? 80% is pretty good. Could be even higher than like 30% you don't know. But it's like when the nervousness to make the decision leaves, then you know that's kind of where you can find your truth. So to be an emotional being and to be a correct, correct emotional being is very healing to our collective because half of the population is open there. So that means they're taking in the emotions of others the emotional wave of others, I should say, and amplifying it, whether it's on the low end or the high end. So think about collectively when, you know, you have a low wave amplified, it's like really intense um, versus, or you can have the opposite in the high. But when somebody with an emotional is super um, good at waiting, then they also like, it's like a healing balm to those who have it open, right? Because you're not in that reactive space of like, needing to act in the now when you're up or when you're down but it's just that's why when you asked me to do this I was like can I let you know tomorrow because it's this like let me sleep on it just to make sure that 24 hours at least that my that is still there as a yes so it's like I, yeah I've been working on that more honestly because it is my like like I have always felt like I need to respond right now or do something right now. And I found the more I wait, the more I just like let things and be open to receiving more, like the more like, and what you said about um, waiting for the nervousness to leave. I'm like, yes, that's how I've been kind of operating over the past six months or so. Like even starting this show, it was like, oh my gosh, I have this idea. I want to do it. And then I just like let it sit for a long time. And I was like, okay, it'll happen when it's supposed to happen. When I feel ready, the opportunity will present itself for me to respond to, you know? So um, everything you're saying is just like, you know, so spot on, of course. Yes. I love that you're doing that. That's so important for uh, emotionals. And it's not always easy because like the world will sometimes be like, come on, answer me now. No, now. Or mm -hmm. what do you mean you don't know, you know? So Karina's asking, what's the second step to going down the human design rabbit hole after I wonder what's their type? And of course, like we could literally sit here for hours on end and talk about all the different components of human design. But after someone finds out kind of the basics, where or where should, first of all, where should someone go to find out the basics? Like what site do you recommend? I'll throw it in the chat. So, um, and then also, where do you go from there? 
So really it's about following your own strategy and authority. So it would be, you know, different depending on your type and your strategy, but always following your strategy and your authority in terms of where to go and when to go. And that, that applies here too, because maybe you feel called to my human design by Jenna Zoe, but maybe that's not your style. Maybe you want to go the more kind of like traditional route, which would be like jovianarchive.com has like tons of like thousands of hours of video of raw who um, there's tons of free content on there. So you can always like, it just depends on what your authority, like where you're being called to go. Um, but I would say, yes, looking up your chart, getting a reading from somebody who knows how to read charts is a big one because they're going to help you like with the nuances in your chart and where to go. They can give you things if you're a generator, like things to respond to about like where to go next or um, guidance if you're a projector. And um, if you are, I think, sorry, I think especially with, um, you know, like. Right now in astrology, there's so many people, there's so many resources. Human design isn't quite there yet, it feels like, as far as popularity. And like even just you giving me like this little snippet of a reading, I'm like, okay, I need to sit down with you for like a while and just let you like say everything I need to know to me. You know what I mean? Like I think getting a reading, which Cass does offer um, for human design, I would say is a just that's the ping I'm getting. Like you kind of need to get a full reading to fully understand yourself because you can look at like this chart I pulled up here. I zoomed in, but it gives you like a little breakdown of, you know, kind of the, the main points that you can look at, but like, you know, that doesn't, we, we barely even got into my profile. There's so much to get into, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so much I want to tell you. <laughs> We just need to like have a full session, just the two of us. Um, yeah. And one of your uh, students from your mentorship, Jackie, I think she's still watching, was giving me a little tidbit too about like, you know, your line and how I'm a four six, but actually I live my first 30 years as a third line and giving me all this stuff. And I'm like, I would never be able to like gather that information just from looking at this. You know, I would have yeah. no idea that that's even a thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much that goes into like the cycle and you're about to go into your Saturn return and what that means for you in terms of human design. And when you get beyond your Saturn return, like 30 to 50, that's when you're planning your cross, which is like your purpose. That's when you're actually grounding why you're here. So, which also I feel uh, works within astrology because it kind of like Saturn's like, get on task, let's go. Totally. Well, and just hearing that too, like even you saying that like after 30 to 50 is when you plant your cross and how I'll transition from a third line. <laughs> yes, you will. Um, it actually made me excited for my Saturn return. I've been like, a, you know, knowing astrology, I've been kind of dreading it a little bit. Like what's coming? What lesson am I going to learn? But then seeing it from a human design perspective, I was like, oh, I get to like mature and level up. And you know, in astrology, mm -hmm. you don't officially become an adult until after your Saturn return. But it, just hearing the little bit I did about what happens after your 30 in human design made me really excited to turn 30 and to go through my Saturn return. Yeah. And you, in and, and human design, you're not fully like an adult until 40. 
It, and then you're not fully like living your purpose until 50. And Ra was like, you know, everybody thinks they're like behind because we used to live. Uh, so we used to have a, a Saturnian vehicle, which meant that like the average lifespan was around 30. And we actually have a Uranian vehicle according to human design now. So halfway is around 40 if you're going to live to be 80. And so um, he was like, if you're not living you know, if you're not living your design or you're not um, living your purpose by 50, you've missed the boat. But like most of us, you know, like we have, you know, so much time. So. Yeah. So reassuring. And also one question that kept coming up for me as we were talking about all this, what year was human design conceived? Like how old is this? Um, in 1980. Seven, eighty, eighty-eight. Okay, so like this, this is very, like, very recent. Yeah, like a baby practice. Yeah, but also it's very modern. Like it's really taking all of these ancient modalities and applying them to our modern life as humans. Because you know, like even astrology, there's so many different kinds of astrology. There's traditional astrology. There are all these things and these these modalities people have studied for thousands and thousands of years. But sometimes you're looking back at things and you're like okay, this was developed by people who did not live the lives we live today, you know, did not have the actual like scientific knowledge of the body that we have today, or even of the mind that we have today. So I feel like human design just like plugs in a lot of the discoveries we've made in modern history. There, I, So there's that, but there's the caveat that the, the lines are descriptions from the I Ching, which is thousands of years old. So you will find that older like language in the um not with Jenna Zoe's work because she's modern, she's taken it to like the modern, but um you will find that in the traditional system. And I it's that's where I would say it is helpful to have somebody who really deeply knows the lines because people can hear a line and be like, oh, it's so negative. You know, it's like, no, no, no. In the context of the whole of what you are, it's perfect. Like, um, there was like a line that you had. What was the lines? Oh, corruption. So, 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 but it's this value, this, 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 like the, it's the 50th gate. So it's like, our values, our relating, our, our nourishment. Um, you're somebody who's like got this responsibility on your shoulders uh, for the tribe. And uh, corruption, when it comes to, so he was, so one time when Ra was like explaining this specific line, because the line is the fourth line, is called corruption. So people hear that and they're like, oh, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm corrupt, right? It's like, no, it'd be the same as like, okay, you have a judge. And before the judge comes a man who, you know, has this like, huge sentence or whatever against him because he smoked some marijuana or whatever. And she's like, okay, I'm going to like, just give you this warning or this like thing. And she would be a corrupt judge, right? Because in a changing environment, it is needed. There is a need for there to be a, a departing from certain things that do not apply to who is before them. So it's like, you know, that was made for this thing at that time. And it worked for this genetic pool. But as soon as we get beyond that, it starts to become something else, right? So, so that specific thing, I was like, I love that, because you're kind of a renegade, you're like a rebel in your own way, like leaving the um, like news world, right? So it's like, that's where I see that coming into play. But if you're just alone with your line, and you're like, what does that mean? You know, it can sound negative, because it's these like really old uh, terms. But 
um, everything taken into the right context, it's like, oh, that's what makes me able to break away from some set norm that isn't working in the present now to nourish the community, to nourish the tribe. Oh, well, that was so resonant. <laughs> and speaking of resonance, that is the name of your business. Um, mm -hmm. And let me pull up your website here too, because I want people to be able to connect with you. Um, but I'm, I'm curious if resonance came from Kundalini, if it came from human design, if it's a, a merge of both things. So it came before human design, but similar timing um, because I was, yeah, it came from just getting into my own process, that whole thing of coming back. Because what I noticed was when I was trying to solve things from the mind, it was, it was a lot of mental gymnastics. But when I came back to my own resonance of what was truly aligned, the things that I was always trying to fix with my mind vibrated out. So I was like, oh, resonance, like with what is true for us gets us on the path that is aligned. And we don't have to like get so in the mind about fixing this thing over here. If we're in resonance with ourselves then those things just take care of themselves. So that's kind of where that came from. And you are offering readings right now too. So yes. your website, helloresonance.com, right? Let me pull it up. Mm -hmm. um, so if people want to dive deeper with you, that is an option that they have. And I'm so excited to like do a one-on-one -on -one session with you because I feel like there's so much we can talk about. Yes, so much I'm excited. Time. Um, and then are there any other offerings you have right now or anything else not, that you have going on? Not at the moment, but there will be. So stay tuned. All yes, the right timing. Also, also, let me pull up your Instagram too. Um, because you always just pop in with like juicy goodness. But it's, it's very random, but I appreciate that. You're just like, <laughs> I'm going to come on when it feels good to come on. And... Yeah, so let me pull that up too for people who want to follow you there. That's your handle. And here is your page. Let's see. There we go. Okay, and then I like to end all of these interviews, even though I know, like I said, we could talk for hours and hours and hours with just a quick card pull. So do you have time just quickly to pull one? Okay, we're going to pull from the Starseed Oracle today because it feels like everything we've talked about came from a different galaxy, kind of. <laughs> Feels like we were in another Definitely. realm. Okay. What do we need to know? Ooh, we got the card. I remember. Soul plan, the faded life versus the destiny life. Didn't you comment? We pulled yes. And you commented on it. That's amazing. That's so wild. I know. And you know, rather than read this full definition, I'm just going to read the soul inquiry. And I want you to share what you said regarding fate versus destiny. So it says, I remember soul plan, the fated life versus the destiny life. What are you being called to do to surrender to your soul's plan? And if you can just share fate versus destiny for us. So fate versus destiny is a teaching actually from Kundalini Yoga. Um, and the idea is that we can live a life kind of going along through the, the mundane, really just, I would say, asleep, just kind of like asleep to our own nature, asleep to what's going on, and really living from the mind. So in a human design way, it's like you're just living from the mind and you're not aware of all this other wisdom in your body. And, and the destiny stream to me is like, it's, it's the potentiality. It's, the, it's, it's what is what is possible in this life? It's like your highest potential in this life is your destiny. 
So the fate is like the thing that we just ha just happens when we're not really fully present and in our life. And destiny is what happens when we are tuned in to our body vehicle in the now and in this moment and the next and the next and just like constantly kind of reorienting as life gives us challenges to stay on that path. It feels like it's very much about intention, you know, like destiny is when you're intentionally moving towards something and fate is just if you are, like you said, just kind of on autopilot, what will happen to you. And in astrology, it feels very similar to the North and South node, you know, like your South node is just kind of like the energy you came in with, where your energy will lead you. But the North node is what you're here to learn the direction you're supposed to go towards. So I love that I pulled this card again. No, that's so cool. Just for you. All right. Is there anything else you'd like to touch on before we wrap this up? I don't think so. Again, I cannot wait to get a full reading with you. I have so much to learn. And now that I have opened the door to human design, I know that I'm like, okay, I need to go deeper. You know, it's that curiosity. I'm super excited. And I'm so appreciative that you took the time out of your day to share your story with all of us and share uh, how to start getting into human design in a way that does feel aligned and does feel correct for each of us. Thank you so much for having me on. This was thank fun. you. And thank you to everybody who showed up, who joined the conversation, who brought your questions and your insights. We appreciate you. We will be back next week with another episode of The Spiritual Journalist. And uh, follow on Instagram in the meantime. Follow us every morning for astrology transit live streams as well for the forecast every day. Whenever I see you next. Until then, stay curious. Thank you so much for joining our discussion today. If you enjoyed this episode of The Spiritual Journalist, you can find more on thespiritualjournalist.com or you can listen to our conversations wherever you enjoy podcasts. And if you want to learn more about astrology, join me live every weekday morning on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter for Transits Today, where we break down the energy of the day based on the movement of the planets and start our morning off in a high vibe. All of the information we share on The Spiritual Journalist is completely free to you. So if you'd like to support more content like this, the easiest way to do so is to subscribe to our YouTube page. Head over to The Spiritual Shop on our website and buy yourself a little something. Or if you're feeling extra generous, you can buy me a coffee to fuel future live streams. Just tap the link in the description or head to buymeacoffee.com and search The Spiritual Journalist. I'm so grateful you found us here and I can't wait for our next conversations.